0: you are listening to the city on a hill sermon podcast for more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit city on a hill, Thank you. Uh, this week, Kelsey came into my office and he was getting ready to edit the second service to put it up online, and uh, he said, hey, who was in the audience yelling no the whole time? And I said, he wasn't saying no, he was saying go, go, go. go. <laughs> that clip never gets old, does it? It doesn't.
1: Uh, well, maybe we need to, keep to this, do this particular series for about a year, year That'd be and great. A half.
0: Let's do it. They're like, no, please, no, no, no.
1: no. no. <laughs> it will become no then, won't it? <laughs> yep. Well, you know, I, I have contact with pastors in churches all over the country, churches we're mentoring, churches where I've done workshops and stuff. And, and one thing that I hear from churches all over the country is that the COVID has made a tremendous impact in America on the worship experience. Uh, typically, well, COVID for us in worship, worship attendance has set us back 10 years. Um, and other churches have been much worse. Uh, and it's, I think it's uh, attributed to a lot of different things. Uh, some people are not yet back because they're not yet ready to come back into a large crowd, and we understand that and we respect that. I think some people just kind of got out of the habit and said, "Ah, oh, you know, we'll just do other things on Sunday." And I think a lot of that's going on. And then there's other folks that uh, are kind of, uh, you know, still come but just kind of show up when there's not something better to do. And and there's a lot of different factors that are going on. And as I look at Oh, is that my phone or yours? Look at Siri. Siri's Siri's stupid. She just interrupts at the the wrong time. Um, There are a lot of reasons. I think there are a lot of things. But this thing has devastated uh, so, so, uh, in so many ways. Our children, uh, obviously health, lives, uh, our our nation, our globe. Uh, You know, the enemy's just been wreaking havoc in a lot of ways uh, through this. But one of the things that I'm so thankful about is though though attendance may be down, although this is a great crowd this morning for the second service compared to what we've been doing. We had a good crowd in the first service. I mean, we are coming back, but uh, ministry hasn't stopped. In fact, ministry is expanding and is growing. Under Derek's leadership, uh, our staff is involved in so many different things. We're doing so many different things. And so though attendance has kind of taken a step back a little bit, I'm telling you, folks, ministry had not stopped. It's booming. The, uh, the work is continuing on, and I'm incredibly thankful for that. I have the opportunity this week to unveil the Fearless Series for Women on a national basis. We are actually going live with the website probably on Monday or Tuesday. This week, we finally got the workbook final in final print. Um, uh, and the reason that we would have had this thing several months ago, but COVID, uh, my typesetter, and I have no idea what state she happens to be in, but we sent her all the material for her to typeset. She got COVID, went in the hospital, almost died. She got out. Her husband went in, almost died. And then she went back in for something else. And it's like, are we ever going to get this thing done? It's bonafide, man. It's bonafide. It really is bonafide. And uh, it's something that can fit in a woman's purse. How cool is that? You know, it's not like one of those big bulky, you know, things. And uh, so we're just really excited about it. Uh, I am uh, exhibiting the Fearless Series for Women at the uh, National... um, Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit, they've also asked me to speak. Uh, I went there thinking I was just going to be a presenter, but then the the director has asked me to speak, so I get an opportunity to speak uh, to uh, professionals from all over the nation that are coming down there for that summit, but also get to show the Fearless series. We're gonna have it set up on a table, rotating the, uh, the, uh, um, the, the trailer. Uh, and people will begin to be able to go to the website and actually get the series and begin to do the work in the church. And so I'm just real excited about that. Pray for us, me. Laura was going to go with me, but some things have come up. She's not going to be able to, so I'll be down there in San Antonio most of the week uh, doing that and real excited about it.
0: Eat some good Mexican food.
1: Oh, I'm going to Michieras. How many of you have been to Michieras? Okay. Well, the, the conference is right downtown, and I'm staying just off the river walk. And so, yeah, you, you don't go to San Antonio if you don't go to Meteoros uh, and eat Mexican food. So, yes, breakfast, noon, yep, and evening, yep. probably. And yep. then you won't want me to come back for a nope. while. Nope. nope. Okay. Just kidding.
0: Let's talk. Let's talk this morning. We've got an extra special day today. Uh, one that will, I think, really be fruitful for all of us. Um,
1: we have to hurry because we've got something we're going to do special at, the, at end. the end of the service that relates to the topic.
0: That's we are uh, talking about a topic, actually, that is uh, one that most Baptist churches are avoiding as best as they can, and that is the daunting topic, <laughs> the scary, topic. the scary topic of the Holy Spirit.
1: But that's because of the chandelier swingers. You know, right. they're just scary. We don't want to be associated with those Spirit. guys. Exactly. So we got to get over
0: that. Yeah. So uh, we have been, for those of you who have not been here for a while or just tuning in online, we've been in a sermon series that we've been titled, or we have titled, All Systems Go. And uh, the idea behind this series has been to understand... The underlying doctrines of our faith. And really, what we've been doing here is we've been practicing something called systematic theology. We've been looking at the scripture as a whole and trying to identify the major doctrines of the faith and how they are laid out systematically in the entirety of scripture. We began week one with. The Scripture. Because we realize if we're going to pull from the Scripture and look at the the different doctrines of the Scripture, we need to make sure that we can trust the Scripture. And so we talked about that. We talked about the doctrine of God next. Who God is. How has God revealed Himself? Last week we got even more specific and we talked about the doctrine of Christ, Christology and how Christ specifically is revealed in the Scripture. And now today, we are going to be covering the third person of the Trinity. Remember, two weeks ago, we said that there is one God, but that He is existing eternally in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So what we're doing this morning is called pneumatology. James is going to tell you why we call it pneumatology here in a moment. But this... Um, This is a really important topic as well, and one that doesn't get enough airtime. And so I hope that you will, if you have a pen and paper or your Bible, even better, take some notes in the margins. We're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. Uh, It's going to be, again, a little bit like drinking from a fire hydrant. But we want to give you as much as we can about this so important topic. And so we're going to begin this morning talking about His essence. The
1: essence of the Holy Spirit. Well, the first thing that we need to understand, and this is an area where there's been a great deal of confusion in, in the past, and quite frankly, for maybe some of you, You've been confused about, well, who is the Holy Spirit? And I want to announce to you, the Scripture presents the Holy Spirit as a person. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force that is just emanating from God. Now, as Derek mentioned, the word in Greek, which we have to translate into English from the Greek New Testament, is the Greek word pneuma, From which we get all of our words, pneumatic, things that have, you know, you the power, the air, all of that kind of stuff. It comes from the Greek word pneuma, which originally means breath or wind. Okay? Mm. But when the Holy Spirit was coming to the point of we have to have a word for this Holy Spirit, then pneuma was the word that is used in the New Testament. He is the Spirit. He is a breath. He is the wind of God. He is the Spirit of God. Now, the interesting thing about it in a, uh, in a grammatical sense is that in Greek there are masculine nouns, there are feminine nouns, and there are neuter nouns, just as there are in English. And you know that if you use a neuter noun, then you are supposed to use a neuter pronoun that goes with it. If you use a masculine noun, you should, to be grammatically correct, it has to have a masculine pronoun. But when we come to the Greek New Testament... Pneuma is a neuter word, but it never appears with a neuter pronoun. Mm. And the neuter pronoun would be what? Come on, you grammars. He, she, are, it. it would, that, that is the neuter pronoun. You refer to something that is inanimate as neuter, like the building, we would refer to it as it. We wouldn't refer to it as Him. We would refer to it as it. But in, in the, in, So in the Greek, the Holy Spirit, the word for the Spirit, is a neuter noun, but it never appears with a neuter pronoun. It always appears with a masculine pronoun. Now in Greek, that's not good grammar, just as it would not be good grammar in English. But it is obvious that this is not a mistake in the Greek. It is purposely said and put that way. Whenever the word pneuma appears, referring to the Holy Spirit, it always has he, not it with it. And that's one of the ways that we understand that God's Word is telling us that the Holy Spirit is not just a force, but the Holy Spirit is actually a person. As the Father is a person, as the Son is a person, so also is the Holy Spirit. Jesus reiterated that in John 14, verse 15 through 17, where He's speaking to the disciples, and He says, If you love Me, well, you will keep My commandments. And I will ask the Father... And He will give you another Helper. Okay, now that's referring to the Holy Spirit. Hang on to that word, another. And He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit, the pneuma of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees, and it doesn't say it, but neither sees Him, nor knows Him. Referring back to the neuter noun, pneuma, all of a sudden, we have a masculine pronoun to go with it. You know Him, for He dwells with you and He will be in you. And that is the pattern all the way through the Gospels and all the letters of the New Testament. Wherever Numa, the neuter noun that means Spirit, appears, it always has the masculine pronoun. So we should never refer to the Holy Spirit as It. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. So, he has personality. So the force, great for Star
0: Wars, Tess. terrible for theology.
1: Yeah, well, the force is an it. Right. And I like, say, may the force be with you. Right. Never, you know, never, you know, never he refers to the force as he. Right. It's an it. It's an but it. in the scripture, the real force, the Holy Spirit of God, is not an it. He is a he. Yep. Okay? Not only that, not only is he a person. But he is a person exactly like Jesus is. Mm. Okay? Now hang on here. In the John text that I just read to you, Jesus said, if I go away, I'm gonna send you another helper. Okay? Another in English is an adjective. It tells which one. It is also adjectival in Greek. We only have one word in English to say another, but in Greek they have two words. Greek is a much more highly inflected, much more communicative language uh, than, than English is. And so there are two words in Greek that can be translated in English as another. One of them means another of a different kind. So if Jesus was using that adjective there to refer to the helper, He would say, He would be saying in essence, I'm going to send you another of a different kind of helper. In other words, He's going to be a helper, but He's going to be a different kind than I am. Do you think that's the adjective that is used of the Holy Spirit here to we speak Nope. It's the other one that means I'm going to send you another of the same kind is this very specific adjective that Jesus uses here. So what he's saying is, it's good for you that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to send you another helper exactly like me. He will be the Holy Spirit. He will do exactly what I've done. He will be with you exactly the way that I have done. Do you get this? Do you understand this? This is vitally important. We, don't speak, we wouldn't speak of the Father as an it. We wouldn't speak of the Son as an it. We should not speak of the Holy Spirit as an it. He is not presented as it. He is presented as a person, and He is presented as co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. It is God the Spirit. And that's why Derek is going to carry us into this aspect of the divine
0: nature of so, the Holy Spirit. So not only is He a person, He is a divine person. He is part of the the three persons existing eternally in the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Let me give you four evidences for the divinity of now, the Now, this Holy is Spirit. interesting.
1: Everything that we've been saying... Let me butt in here yeah, just a Can I butt in?
0: Uh, I'm going to anyway. You will anyways. Okay. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you butt in on me. I do. No, okay. yeah. All right. it's part of the game. It's good for the goose. good yeah. for the gander. Yeah. All right. So everything that we've been saying about the Father when we present the divinity of the Father, everything we, is said about the Spirit. Everything that we said last week about Christ as being divine... The Scripture says again of the Holy Spirit. So it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, not three gods, one God who has revealed Himself in these three persons, Father, Son, and Holy
0: Spirit. And Holy now, go Spirit. Ahead. So He is uh, four evidences that He is divine. Number one, He's literally called God, right? So Acts chapter 5, lovely new couple to the church, Ananias and Sapphira show up. And uh, they sell a plot of land. They take some of the proceeds secretly and pocket the money. They give the rest of the church, but they want to appear mm. ultra-spiritual. So they tell them, we gave all the money from the sale. <laughs> Nobody's ever done that before. No one's ever done that before. <laughs> and it doesn't work out well for them. Peter says to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit mm. and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So who does, who does Ananias lie to? The Holy Spirit. But then he goes on in this next passage, next verse, and says, You've not lied to man, you lied to God. Oh, wow. So you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God. It's the same thing. If you lie to the Holy Spirit, you lie to God. If you lie to God, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. They're one and the same. Number two, he's associated with the Trinity. Matthew 28. And the so-called Great Commission, when Jesus commissions us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of it. And of it. And of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. (laughs) All three of them. So he's associated with the Trinity by Jesus' own words. Number three, he's active in creation. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2 It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then it says this, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, James talked about the word pneuma, which means wind, breath, or spirit. But we're in the Old Testament in this passage, which is Hebrew, and we get the Hebrew word ruach, which is a word that means the same exact thing, breath, wind, or spirit, So, uh, if you remember last week, we said that that God created the heavens and the earth, but Colossians chapter 2 says that it was Jesus, it was by him, Jesus, all things were created. So we have the Father, we have the Son there, and then we have the Spirit of God dwelling over the waters, the face of the deep, all co creating everything that is in existence. Number four, he raises the dead. The same power, the scripture says, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you if you indeed follow him and are born again. Romans 8.11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Number five, he bestows divine life. So the divine life that we all participate in, it is because of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of it. (laughs) No, to drink of one spirit. He's a he. I could go on and on, but I think you get the point. There is evidence for the divinity of the Holy Spirit. He's not just a person. He is a divine person. He's not an it. He is a he, and he is God. Fully omnipotent, fully omniscient, fully omnipresent. You see, when we talk about his essence, it answers the question, who is he? That's who he is. The next question we have is, What does he do? (laughs) His work. His work. We're going to talk about his work. What is he doing? What does the scripture say he's doing? What's he up to? What's he up to? What's he for? One major thing that the Holy Spirit accomplishes is that he is present with God's people. He allows the presence of God to dwell with God's people. When you think about the, the scripture from start to finish, God the Father is in heaven right? No one can see God and live. So he is in heaven. God the Son is prior to his incarnation in heaven, after the resurrection at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So for about 30 to 33 years, he's on the earth. But apart from that, he's in heaven, which means then that the Spirit of God is the one who is present with God's people the most, The presence of God is felt primarily, in other words, through the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about His presence for a moment because when we talk about God's presence in the Holy Spirit, it really depends on where you are in the Bible to Mm -hmm. determine what He's up to because in the Old Testament, He operates quite differently than He does the New Testament. James is going to talk about the New Testament in a moment. And the cool thing about it is the Scripture presents that as the plan of God from the beginning. From the very beginning. That it would change. Yes, this is always God's plan. So God in the Old Testament, Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, let's talk about him for a moment. He's not actually called the Holy Spirit. You usually get either the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Yahweh, the Spirit of the Lord in all caps. And the important thing for you to remember about him in the Old Testament is that his dwelling with God's people is not permanent, it is temporary. It is temporary. He does not come in and dwell in the people of God. He comes upon the people of God and then he departs from the people of God. We see uh, King Saul, for example, example and Samuel, when he is anointed king of Israel, the spirit of God comes upon him. When David is anointed king of Israel, the spirit of God departs from Saul and it, he comes upon David. And actually Saul ends up with a harmful <laughs> spirit, which yeah. is a whole nother topic that we won't even go into it's right not now. good. It's a not a good thing. But what is he doing when he comes upon the people of God? What, what is he accomplishing? Two things. Uh, one, he anoints. He gives various individuals specific abilities that are necessary to accomplish a specific purpose for that time. So, for example, in Judges chapter 14, Samson, one of the judges, we all remember Samson, long-haired, freaky people, remember? Um, he applied and He got applied, accepted. he yes. got accepted. He became a judge. Um, he uh, is on his way to wherever he's going, and he is presented with a problem. A lion, a literal lion, is going to attack him. In Judges 14.6, it says, Then the spirit of Yahweh rushed upon Samson, and although he had nothing in his hands... He tore the lion in pieces. Now, mm. in the ancient world, lions were a real problem. That's why a lion <laughs> imagery is used a lot in the Old they Testament. They weren't in cages. They weren't in cages or in <laughs> zoos. They would, they would attack you if you were on a country road going from town to town. And so uh, you needed to be aware of that. And if one approached you, it was almost certainly a death sentence. So for Samson, he has nothing to fight off this lion. But when the Spirit of God comes upon him, this problem becomes really pretty easy. Just tear it in half, right? (laughs) Something that none of us can say or do on our own, but when the Spirit of God anoints you, not a big deal. So he anoints, he gives power to his people, to the different judges. And if you remember, this happens a lot with Samson. He, he kills like 30,000 people at one time. It seems like the matrix. He is able to do all these weird things. And then when he disobeys God and cuts his hair, the Spirit of God departs from him, and he's just an average, weak, normal guy. Just a normal dude. So he anoints. Number two, he reveals. Sometimes he reveals things, primarily to who? Who is he revealing things to in the Old Testament? The prophets. The prophets, exactly, the prophets. Second 2 Chronicles 24.20, says, Then the Spirit of God clothed, I love that, Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken Yahweh, he has forsaken you. So he reveals God is going to leave the people of God because they have left him. He gives them divine foresight into what is going to happen in the future. So His presence, hear me when I say this, in the Old Testament, it's very visible, but it's very different than how He operates in the New Testament. Absolutely. Before I get to that, I just have to deal with the situation. It's really,
1: you know, I did this for many years. Uh, You know, I've been in the ministry for 40 years, and we've been team teaching for just a couple of years. So let's say 38 years, I was up here by myself, okay? And it's tough being up here with a millennial. Because I, I have to read all of his text messages that come in on his iPad. I mean, who in the world are these people? Do they not know what you do? That's exactly why they're texting me. Why? Try, trying to rattle me. Trying to rattle. Yeah, oh, okay. Exactly. So they're, they're, uh, they're hecklers. Is and that what...
0: And, and they fail every time. And they
1: fail every time. They every You'd time. think they would give up. Exactly. But I'm sitting here and text message after text message is coming off over here going, who are these people? They don't know he's preaching right
0: now. Hey, hey, don't Leave let him Don't along. let him fool you. He gets text messages all <laughs> the time as well. I Those see them. Those are love him. messages from oh, my enchanting right, wife. right. They are. Okay. All right. Anyway,
1: yeah. so in the Old Testament, he comes. He's temporary. He comes upon for to accomplish a purpose and, and departs. But in the New Testament, the operation of the Holy Spirit changes. After the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension to the right hand of the Father of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's operation changes. He no longer comes upon God's people temporarily, but now he begins to dwell within God's people permanently. So in the Old Testament, the Spirit worked from the outside. In the New Testament, he begins to work from the inside. And this didn't come as a surprise to Jesus or the disciples because one of the Old Testament prophets prophesied that this transition would actually take place. The prophet Joel, in the second chapter of his prophecy, said there was going to be a change in the operation of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Himself also talked about it before His crucifixion in John chapter 39. And it says that on the last day of the feast, Jesus was standing before them and He cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now Jesus is using a metaphor. The water is not physical water, but it is the Holy Spirit coming from the inside. And Jesus explains it in the very next thing. It says, Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive. They had not yet received Him internally, but they were to receive Him, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so the setting of this thing is that the transition of the Holy Spirit's operation to come into us uh, permanently was not going to happen till after the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ To the right hand of the Father. And the last thing Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1 before He ascended was y'all go and pray and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit that has been promised. And they did. And the Holy Spirit came in that Acts chapter 2 experience on that great day of Pentecost. And there was physical manifestation of tongues of fire so that they would know this is it, right? And then right after that, the Apostle Peter got up and he preached Christ to the thousands that were there. Man. And there were thousands... Do what? We need another one of those. We, yeah, well, we'll talk about that in a moment. And there were thousands of people that responded to Christ. And then Peter said, let me explain to you what just happened. Because people were saying, well, these, these disciples, they're all drunk. And Peter says, it's a little early in the day for that. Okay? But he says, let me tell you what just happened. In Acts chapter 2, in the middle of his message, verse 16, he says, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Mm. And then he quoted Joel's prophecy. And now there, P- Peter is saying, listen folks, what you've just seen was what God intended all along. The Holy Spirit no longer is going to be temporary to come upon His people for temporary purposes, but now He is going to dwell within us permanently and that transition has taken place. And what Derek mentioned a moment ago, I've heard people for years and years say, we need another Pentecost. No, we don't. We can't have another Pentecost. Pentecost, the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, was a one-time historical event that marked the transition of the Old Testament operation to the New Testament operation. That's about the same as saying, well, you know, we just need another crucifixion. Amen. Jesus needs to come and be crucified again. No, He doesn't. That was a one-time historical event. All through the book of Acts are all of these first-time events, these historical transitioning events. And Acts 2 is one of them. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul then says, based upon what happened in Acts chapter 2, do you not know that you are God's temple? He's speaking to believers. Before The place that the Spirit of God primarily dwelt in the midst of His people was in the tabernacle in the Old Testament and then the temple in Jerusalem, right? But after the death, burial, resurrection of Christ and the ascension, the Spirit of God no longer dwells in temples made with hands, the Scripture says, but now you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you. Isn't that cool? I love to know that I don't have to ask where the holy spirit is and where he's going to show up because he dwells within me permanently so in good. Christ. So now good. we've got to move on here because there's something we really got to do yep. before we get to the end to do this very special thing that is related to the topic. So
0: let's move on and talk about the ministry of the holy spirit. The ministry of the holy spirit. What do we see what are the what are the what are the ministries that he is accomplishing in his work? Let's talk about this is quick because we this is more of a review in relation to scripture. Two things that uh, he does, and if you want a, a more kind of complete picture of this, then go back to the Doctrine of Scripture message. James unpacked this in much more much more detail. Uh, but here's what you need to know. A, he inspire, inspires the writers of Scripture to record it. Okay? Uh, 2 Peter one twenty one: For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by who? The Holy Spirit. So you
1: mean Matthew, Mark, and Luke didn't just come up with this stuff on their own? They didn't
0: just come up with it on their own. The Holy Spirit actually told them what to The Holy Spirit is the author of every book of the Bible. Hear me, people of God, when I say that. Every book of the Bible was written ultimately by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture. How much of it? All of it. The parts you like? No. All of it. All of it. Even the parts I don't like? Even the parts, especially the parts you don't like. Oh, I wish I could just kick them out. Is breathed out by God. Is God breathed. Theonoustos. James talked about that in that message. The compound Greek word for God and breath. God breathed. That as the, the writers of the New Testament were writing it, God, it's as if he was breathing on. You know when you breathe onto a window and then you write little annoying words on your friend's car? That's exactly the, the idea. God is breathing onto the pages they as the scriptures the dirt, are writing. Yeah, Exactly. So that's the first thing. He inspires the writers to record it. But as importantly, he illumines believers to understand it. Mm. 1 John 2.27 tells us that we are not able to understand the Scripture rightly without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is why when we talk about Genesis chapter 1 and the Spirit of God hovering over the waters of the deep, Old Testament scholars will say things like, well, you know, that, that can't be the Holy Spirit because the Old, Test, Old Testament people of God wouldn't have known the Holy Spirit. So that's probably wind or breath. Wrong. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that's why they didn't know. So they don't know. They can't <laughs> rightly understand it. Of course they think it's wind or breath because they can't rightly understand Scripture. There's a great book, if you're into historical books, called The Dialogue with Trifo. It is written by the third century church father Justin Martyr, and he, only a church history nerd. Hey, listen. By it's the good. way. By the way, Derek was awarded he's doing his second master's degree,
1: uh, master's in theology, on the early church history of the first 300 years of Church Fathers. He was awarded the Church History Award for Southwestern Baptist yeah. Theological Seminary, just last yeah. week. Thank you. So
0: he's not as dumb as you think. He I'm is. a real nerd. I'm a real nerd. In this book, Martyr talks to this unbelieving Jew, and this unbelieving Jew starts quoting Old Testament to him. And Justin Martyr says, those scriptures don't belong to you anymore. They belong to us because you couldn't understand them correctly, and because of that, you murdered the Messiah rather than worshiping him. Drop the mic. Yeah, yeah. Put away the Old Testament. It doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to the church. We have the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this is what he does. He, he inspires the writers of the Bible. He, he illumines us to understand hmm. it. That's in relation to Scripture, in relation to salvation. Yeah, this is, we need to slow down here for just a moment, yes. and, and I'll do this as quickly as I can.
1: But you've got to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your salvation or your conversion experience. yes. What happened? What was it when you were converted to Christ? Well, first of all, let me say it is a fulfillment of the sovereign will of God. When you are saved, it is a fulfillment of the sovereign will of God. Jesus said in John 6, 37, All who the Father gives to me will come to me. In other words, the Father is going to give someone... People to me, to follow me, and everyone that the Father gives me is going to come to me. And Jesus said, I will lose none of them. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29 through 30, the Apostle Paul puts it this way: Those whom the Father foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son Jesus. Jesus. Do you understand that every one of us who are in Christ are one day going to be exactly in the image of Jesus? Mm. You know when that's going to happen? When we see Him as He is. In First John chapter 2, He says, Brothers, we do not yet know what, what we shall be, but we do know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. Yeah. Until then, we're not. But when He comes, we will be instantaneously, perfectly transformed into the perfect image of Christ. That's what it's talking about. It says, those whom God foreknew, He predestined for that perfect image of Christ. And then those whom He predestined, what did He do? It says, He called. Called. And those whom He called, what did He do? He justified. Did He justify a few of them? Nope. Most of them? Nope. He justified them all. Who the Father calls to Christ, He justifies. In other words, He makes right with Himself through Christ. And those whom He justified, He glorified. In other words, He's talking about when we are in eternity with Him. Now, are any of these lost? Are any of these who God foreknew, who He predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, whom He called, whom He justified, and whom He glorified, are there any of them that don't quite make the trip? No. No. That is not the way salvation is presented. When you and I come to Christ, when we are called to Christ, it is a part of the preordained, foreknowledge, sovereign purpose of the will of God. He calls us, He justifies us to be made right with Him through Jesus Christ. Now here's the question, okay? And I know some of you have asked this question before. How did we who know Christ, how did we get here? Is it just because we're smarter than all those idiots out there that don't know Jesus? Is it, is it because we just figured that out for ourselves that without Jesus, man, there's no hope, and we're just better off. We're just better than those people out there that don't know Christ. Were we the spiritual menses geniuses? Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. I mean, you know, he got the Church History Award. Are, Were we just the spiritual road scholars in the world who just smarter than everybody else and figured out that we needed Jesus? No. Ephesians 1 says that we, like everyone in the world, Ephesians 2, 1, are all dead in trespasses and sins. That means we are spiritually dead and headed for eternally dead. So if you're spiritually dead, how can you make a spiritual decision for Christ? If you have no spiritual capacity within you, how can you come up with the idea, well, I need to make a spiritual transition here and come to Jesus? You can't. That's why God called you. Mm. That's why God had to call you. That's why His call is always effectual, that those whom He he foreknows, He predestines, He calls. And everyone He calls will be justified. And everyone He justifies will be glorified. I could preach about that if you turn me loose. So you see... It is God's effectual call that creates in us the ability to hear His call and respond to Christ. That's what 2 Timothy 1.9 Paul refers to. He says, He saved us and called us. There's that call. Look through the New Testament. How many times? God calling. God calling comes. And it never says that anybody He calls doesn't come. He calls us to a holy calling, not because of works, I mean, it wasn't because I was such a smart guy or a good guy, but because of his own purpose. In other words, he predetermined it's his purpose, and he calls us according to his purpose and his grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Did you get this? Mm. Your calling to Christ was an act of the grace of God. It had nothing to do with you or with me. So how did that accomplish? How is that accomplished? How is that calling accomplished? It is accomplished by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, If you, when you came to Christ, you had a close encounter with the Holy Spirit, whether you knew it at the time or not. Because what happened was you were convinced of some things. And it was the Holy Spirit of God that we're talking about that did the convincing. Let me unpack this passage in John 16 as quickly as I can, verse 7 to 11, to help you understand this. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says to the disciples, He says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. He's talking about his cross. For if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit was not going to be send, sent to dwell within until Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended. So i got to go away so then I can send the Helper to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Now get this, and when He comes, He's going to do some convincing work, Jesus says. He's going to convince, convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. No one does at that time. But the Holy Spirit's going to convict them of believing in Christ. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. When Jesus leaves, we don't have a physical picture of what righteousness is. So the Holy Spirit has to come and show us. And And then, because I go to the Father and you see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now let me unpack those three things that the Holy Spirit had to convince you of for you to come to Christ. You didn't convince yourself. You didn't figure it out for yourself. The Holy Spirit convinced you of it. First of all, He convinced you of your sin. Okay? He says, He will convict of sin. The word convict literally means to convince. He will convince. He will convict you of your sin. Now, this is what the Holy Spirit did when you came to Christ. He came to you and said, you know what? We have pictures. You do? Yes. We have videotapes. Oh, no. We have witnesses. No. We have evidence all laid out here, and it is incontrovertible. There is no rebuttal of all the evidence that we have. You
0: are a sinner. Does he, does he take the glass of water and go, <laughs> yes, and when you see
1: it, it is so convincing because he is the convincer. You hang your head and you admit, I am guilty before God. I am a sinner. I have no defense. I have no ju- justification. I am Guilty. You know what happened when this 18-year-old kid right off the streets, right out of the drug culture of the 60s, bowed his head before Jesus Christ on that night, that New Year's Eve, bringing 1972 in from 1971? Was it because this kid who had burned his brain cells with drugs for so long and was in and out of jail just all of a sudden got real smart and figured out that he had a problem? No. The Holy Spirit broke me. Amen. And convinced me of my terrible condition before God, and the evidence was so incontrovertible, I bowed my head before Him and said, if you can do anything with this life that I have left, here it is, Jesus. See, that has to happen. It may not be as dramatic as it was for me, but you have to come to God and say, you know what, I just figured out. I'm a dog. I'm a dog before a holy and righteous God. That's why repentance is necessary for salvation. Because you have to turn from sin. You have to turn to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that does that conviction. Without Him, you couldn't know it. Second of all, He convicts of righteousness. Notice what Jesus says. I, he convicts of righteousness because I go to the Father. You see, when Jesus is here, we have a perf- if Jesus was right here, we would have a perfect picture of what perfect righteousness looks like. That's right. When Jesus goes away, how do we know what righteousness is? The Holy Spirit, how do we know what it takes to be acceptable before God? The Holy Spirit reveals the righteousness of Christ to us. And that it is only Jesus who can stand before a holy and righteous God. Because why? Because He's already convicted me. I'm a low-down dog sinner. I've got nothing to offer to God. And so I can't present myself to God as being righteous, but Jesus can, and Jesus is there, and He's saying to the Father, He's saying to me, if the Holy Spirit said, if you will come to the Father, James, through me, and let my righteousness cover you, then you can be saved. Are you getting this? He convinces me of the truth of the gospel. I'm a sinner. I'm lost without hope. The evidence is incontrovertible. But. Jesus died on the cross for me and laid His righteous life down for me. So if I will come to God through Him, the Holy Spirit says, James, if you'll come to the Holy Father through Jesus, the Father will receive you. Mm. He convicts of sin. He convinces us of righteousness. And I got to go on real quick, and I'm skipping a lot of good stuff. I understand. The clock is my enemy. I hate the clock. I know. Third, He convinces of judgment. So He convinces us about our sin. He convinces us about our lack of righteousness and that Jesus is the only righteous one. And then he convinces us of judgment. Verse 11, he says, Because the ruler of this world has been judged. Judgment is real. Hmm. Because the enemy, Satan, has already been judged. You see, it doesn't say that he's going to go to trial one day before God. No, no, he's already been judged. There will be no witnesses for the enemy, there will be no exhibits. There will be no technicalities for reversal on on appeal. The sentence has been passed. Now Satan and all who are not in Christ are on death row, waiting for the final eternal execution. All without Christ. And when the Spirit of God convinces you of your sin, And when He convinces you of Jesus' righteousness and is the way, and He convinces you of sure and certain judgment, then the calling of God has been fulfilled, and you turn to Christ, and God's foreknowledge and predetermined plan in you is fulfilled. And it had nothing to do with you or me from beginning to end. That's right. We can't take credit. Because it was all an expression of the grace of God. Now, Derek, take us home, and then we're going to do something very special at the end of the service.
0: What do you think? you think I should skip this again? Yeah, I think i just Probably. summarize it just real quick. Okay. So uh, we, skip, we skipped a lot for service. It's, yeah, it's I mean, a lot we have
1: more message than we have means and time with which to give it.
0: So uh, let me just say then up up front, my third part here is in relation to believers. We talked about the Holy Spirit's ministry in relation to Scripture, in relation to salvation, Salvation. and now in relation to us as believers. What are the things that He does ministry-wise with us? After He comes
1: to dwell within. Within us,
0: yeah. One of the things He does is He baptizes us into Christ. And, and this is one that I skipped. And, and We're going to get gonna, the snakes out in a minute. Some of you are going to get the second baptism right, right here. Right, the, the baptism by fire. Right, yeah. Oh, well, that's not what you mean? That's not what I mean. Well, okay. that is what I mean. Uh, the thing that I mean to argue against. Without is, the stakes. So let me just say quickly to you, if you come from a primarily charismatic background, and you have been taught that when you come to Christ, you receive some of the Holy Spirit, but that you need a second baptism of the Holy Spirit in order to get the fullness of the Spirit, then I want to convince you in short form that that is not biblical at all. And that if you have questions regarding why and would like to know the layout of that, then please come and see me or come email me. Come to the me. senior pastor. <laughs> <laughs> email me, whatever you would like to do, and I would love, love to lay that out for you. Uh, yeah, someone came up to James after first service. He goes, talk to him. You need to talk
1: to the senior yeah. pastor. I'm no longer the senior <laughs> That's
0: pastor. Not, not, don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, just the old man hanging around because I won't quit. It, it's good. We love it. We love having you. <laughs> Let me talk about the other things he does, and then I'm going to get to the end here. So he, he baptizes us into Christ. He uh, indwells us. So rather than the temporary, remember I talked about the temporary presence? He is permanently indwelled. In fact, Paul says you've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, He gives spiritual gifts. Number three, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a whole list of spiritual gifts that you get some of, not all of. Uh, And by the way, on Wednesday nights, I'm teaching a class right now over the spiritual gifts. So if you're not doing anything on Wednesdays at 645, then come and see me. We'd love to have you in here. That's my Um, bedtime. (laughs) That's your bedtime. So James won't be here. Uh, Number four, he helps us in prayer when our words fail us. Uh, The Holy Spirit provides for us prayer on our behalf. Uh, number five, and this is really where I want us to land for the remainder of the uh, morning. He raises up leaders in the church. He raises up leaders in the church. So in Acts chapter 20, verse 28... Can I say
1: something? Right? Please. Because we're ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. You know, people have asked me, say, so James, coming from where you came from and the way you came to Christ off the streets at 18, how did you go into ministry? And the answer I give is I didn't have a choice. Yep, The Holy Spirit tagged me for it. I knew it, and I hated it. I knew it, and I ran from it. I knew it, and I went to law school so that I wouldn't have to be a pastor. I couldn't do it. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He raises up leadership. There's nothing mystical or supernatural about it. I tell kids when they come, say, man, I think I want to go into ministry. I say, want to ain't enough.
0: That's exactly what he told me.
1: You better have to, because the want to is going to go away. That's right. And the Holy Spirit does that. That's how he does, not just for us pastors, but for elders, leadership in the church, as we're about to talk about, we're fixing to do something incredibly meaningful that relates to this. This is not not mystical. This is real, that the Holy Spirit he tags in order to raise up leaders at the right time.
0: In Acts chapter 20 verse 28, he he tells he tells us how this works. He says, "Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock that's talking about the local church in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers." Now, he's talking in this passage to the leadership of this church, to the elders of this church. And what he has just said to them is Pay careful attention to this body of believers because the Holy Spirit has raised you up and made you an overseer over them. And that by doing so, you are caring for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So we believe at City on a Hill that that the church ought to be led by a governing body of elders. You see us up on the stage. We are the day-to-day Uh, generals, if you will. We do all of the groundwork. I lead the staff. I organize all the things, all the things that James did in his time as senior pastor. I am now doing as well. But we have always done it in tandem with six other men that we believe God has raised up by the power of his Holy Spirit to be an elder, an overseer, to bring checks and balances. So that if we have an idea and we go, man, I really want to do this, They come in and say, hey, I think it's great that you have that idea, but we need to talk about these specific details before we move forward. And we yield to that because it's not one voice. It is a plurality of voices. This is how God intended the church to be governed. So when you recognize someone that you feel like is qualified for that, and you write that name down on that piece of paper like many of you have, we take those, the elders, the, the current elders pray over them, and we choose unanimously who we believe the next two uh, individuals are that come onto this. Onto and this
1: word unanimous is important.
0: It is. We never present a prospective
1: elder to come on the elder board that we currently are not unanimous totally unanimous. It. Yes. Because we believe that if the Holy Spirit can't convince us.
0: He can't convince you.
1: He can't convince you and somebody's missed something. That's so right. Before anybody comes on that elder body and we present them to you, we have to be in full and complete 100% total agreement and so, we say, and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And so I, told, I talked to James a couple weeks ago, and I said, you know, I, I really would love to begin doing something on an annual basis where we bring up our current elders and the two new ones that are coming on, and, and, and to do this for two reasons. I'm One, you can, on can go ahead and come up if you'd like. Um, not if you'd like. I, we're we're going to ask you to come up. <laughs> um but what we're what we're what our goal is here is several fold. One, I think it's good for you to see the faces of the individuals who are leading us as elders. But two, I want to give time an appropriate amount of time to um, these two individuals This time around, Charlie and Jim, who are rolling off of the elder body as acting elders. Now, we believe that once an elder, always an elder, okay? Um, But they are no longer on the ruling elder body at this point. They've served their three years. And so I think it would be appropriate, uh, necessary for you, the body, to recognize the work, the leadership, that they have brought to the table. Uh, And so we want to say thank you now for your service to us. And and I would love just to uh, lay hands on them and and pray over them and and thank them, thank the Lord for them, for their service, and uh, for protection for their families. So pray with me if you will. Uh, Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus by your Spirit that we believe has raised these two men up. And we just say thank you, God. We thank you for their service, for their sacrifice, uh, for the risks that come with leadership, for the pressure that comes with leadership. We believe, Lord, that you uh, led them here and that we agree um, is just more testimony to that fact. And so we pray, God, first just to say thank you and second to ask for the fullness of your blessing, the riches of your blessing to fall upon them and their families for protection protection Uh, to give them just a sense of, of greater hope and greater joy that they have been used so powerfully by you, Lord. We recognize we are better people. We are better Christians. We are better pastors. We are better leaders and members in part because of their service to us. We thank you for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys very much. We appreciate it. And now we are going to also uh, commission in our two newest elders that we believe, again, God has raised up. And I want to lay hands on Ryan Nugent and Bob Hoffman. And again, just pray for God's wisdom, uh, insight, uh, knowledge, guidance uh, over both of them, and and also protection for their families as well. Because it, it is a spiritual realm that we are leading in, and there are spiritual warfare that come along with it. And so we really want to ask the Spirit of God to surround these men and these families, their hearts as they uh, lead us as well. So let me pray over you and pray with us as well. Lord, I thank you for raising up Ryan and Bob, and and we're just so grateful again. Every year we stand in awe of you as you bring uh, more individuals who meet the qualifications that, that we feel like are, are brought to us by you to be in leadership. We thank you for that. We pray uh, that you would bind the enemy from these two men, from their hearts, uh, from their families. We pray specifically for uh, each of these men's families, their wives, the children, and, uh, and just ask that you would give them wisdom and uh, godly stature as they uh, enter into this three-year time that you would protect them from uh, moving away from you, that their eyes would always be centered on you as they uh, lead us, Lord. We thank you. We're grateful, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Look forward to it. I think it's important... It's important that you see all these individuals up here. And we're going to do this every year. When the, two, the next two roll off and the, the next two new guys come on, then we'll come up here again and we'll do this the same way. I just think it's so valuable for you to be able to put faces to names. And, and on that note, I do want to make one last remark. Uh, this week we made a change on our website. If you go on to the City on a Hill DFW website and click on the uh, uh, About Us, Who We Are portion, we have always had staff pictures uh, with names on there so you can identify the staff. But under that, we now have the elders as well with their picture and their name. So if ever you come to a place where you're like, who are our elders again? Then go to our website and you can get a, a picture of them uh, and their name and, and put a face to a name. And, and then if you see them, uh, you know, greet them, thank them, uh, because they really do uh, mean a lot to us. Absolutely. At City on a hill. And if you have a complaint now, you know where to go. Exactly. Right there.
1: So. Don't come to me. I'm not the senior pastor anymore. You Go to him or one Amen. of them. Yep. God bless you. Have a great That's week. That's all we got. See, you.
0: See ya.